Welcome to episode 99 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Ryan Topps here in the basement with me, and we got JP over on the left coast now. Right? Left? There's a- I, yeah. I mean, it depends on which way you're facing, I would imagine. I don't know. I look at the map the same way every time, so I assume that's on the left. That's a neocolonial piece of crap that you just mentioned right there. It is. Do you ever think about how we could just flip the globe upside down and it would still all be basically the same? We just have to refer to hemispheres differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and, and you know, in fact, they do make maps that way. Do and they? I, I mean, the yeah. thing is... You like, mean they just turn them over and sell it for, like, an increased fee? No, they actually, like, do maps a different way. And so, like, because it actually brings different perspectives to different countries to be able to make, you know, the global south, the global north. It changes things like the Mercator map makes certain countries bigger than others. All of those sorts of things. They absolutely do that. So how is it out there? Uh, it is. It's like as much as everybody talks about how much it's going to rain all the time. It's been uh, about 75 to 82 degrees and sunny every single day we're out here. Well, that's nice at the moment. Are you in the dry season? Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it will rain a bunch. But every single time people are like, you know, it rains here a bunch. I was like, you know, it snows in, <laughs> in, in October to April. I'm not really worried if it's going to rain for like five months. Doesn't really bother me. Well, with the rain we've had this year in the Midwest. So I think you'll you'll be OK. I think you'll survive. I was gonna say, for the for the Midwest, not only do you have snow for like six months, now you have rain for an extra like four months as well. And then for two weeks, it's gorgeous. Oh, I was, I was going to say for two weeks, we have oppressive heat and everybody stays inside in the air conditioning. Yeah, it's like it's up two, two and a half weeks. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyways, uh, you can help people find the podcast by rating and review Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our M&B and Ball and Glove patrons received the monthly Minor League Extra podcast, which just came out this past week, right? Mm-hmm. I was listening to, listening at some point. Yeah. I can't it, remember when it was. It's out. We talked a lot about uh, some relievers, really. It was a very reliever-heavy, future big league reliever-heavy episode. And you so. had to figure out a way to not talk about Trent Grisham all the time, right? Actually, we managed to just not talk about him generally very much. Well, so. but that's because JP specifically said he was not picking him as, as the player of the month. Because even would, though I should have, yeah. right? I mean, by by all accounts, if you're going to have like a 1300 OPS, you should probably be the hitter of the month. But Dubon, he was a solid pick, and he got his Dubon's promotion. Great. So I was going to say, like, one of the most interesting things, if if uh, people are thinking about Dubon and, and how much he his kind of power potential is, has been raised. Um, Josh Norris of Baseball America was talking about Bubba Starling, who actually just came up for the Royals, who was a, a high-end pick you know, a few years ago and has finally made it to the big leagues. God, I thought it was a decade ago. When I saw that, I thought, oh, is he I retiring? Mean, it wasn't far away. He, came, he was drafted in 2011. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, you were saying, JP. And, and he's hitting something like, you know, 310 with like a 600 slugging percentage. And it's, you know, everyone's like, he's really turning around. He's basically about league average for the PCL this year. <laughs> it's it's absolutely ridiculous how much everybody is hitting. It was going through. It was like he was like 90 something in slugging percentage with like a 600 slugging. It's it's insane in the in, in AAA right now. That would not be fun. For any guys trying to work their way to the major league roster at the moment. Well, what's crazy though is the Brewers have a bunch of guys who are in the bullpen at San Antonio who have like ERAs 
in the ones. And we'll talk about one of them who just got called up in a little bit. But like they have a bunch of guys who have ERAs in the ones. It's yeah. insane. So, well, if you want to hear more about that, uh, join our Patreon and you can get the minor league extra. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English shell malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Uh, out now, they have their Raspberry Fantasy Factory IPA, Idiot Farm Imperial IPA, and then also for these really, really hot days, I do recommend the America AF Watermelon Kolsch. You got any of those in the fridge, Steve? I don't at the moment. It's hard to find. They're that in, would be it's really in good for Alpine in a few hours. That would <laughs> it's be in really cans, good. and I went looking for it. Um, I, that one I wasn't able to find here in the Milwaukee area, but I know if you go to the brewery, you can get them. So go check that out. Like I said, it's hot. Uh, that is a good one to have. Um, also, get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. As always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer, brilliance. We just got through the All-Star break. I think everybody was hoping for a little bit of a reprieve from the soul-crushing way the Brewers are playing there at the uh, end of the first half. Mm -hmm. And they decided on Friday night to just keep right on with the soul-crushing. Yeah, they really did. JP, did you get a chance to see Hader uh, give up two bombs and blow a game that, well... No, Hader was just a grand slam. It was No, 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 no. Oh, Elvers was a grand oh, slam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, sorry. So Hader gave up the two home runs uh, to tie the game to tie and, and go behind yep that's it and then yelich tied it in the bottom of the ninth and then elbers gave up the four in the top of the tenth yeah so i mean i guess what do we take away from starting the second half like that it's so hard to say um it's one game there and that's not even getting into the saturday game which also just tried to like give everybody heart attacks <laughs> The look on your face when I told you that the game was tied <laughs> was at the show on Saturday night was uh, priceless. You were you were not happy. No. So uh, JP haters home run issues. I mean, just this was one of those things we have to deal with, and it just happened at a time when we really don't want to see it. I mean, mostly, and also there aren't very many uh, pitchers nowadays that don't have home run issues. So in today's in today's kind of run environment and the way the ball is, Hater is obviously a little bit more pronounced than some other some other guys, but home runs are going to happen, and I don't necessarily know. I don't necessarily know what to make of the current stretch because I was trying to take more of like a macro view of it, and I was looking at some numbers from last year versus this year and different things like that, and uh, because. Prior to recording, Steve was like, did they go on a bad stretch like this last year? Um, and so just thinking about what they've done, like we've we've seen this kind of thing before. We even see we even saw this kind of thing last year. Um, and they'll have an opportunity to upgrade the bullpen in the next couple of weeks, which I think they'll probably do. So I would it, it sucks right now, uh, but they need to be able to get on a hot streak like they were able to last year. And if they're because last year they had two great months and then they were uh, at you know, just a little bit above or below 500 the other four months out of the year. They just haven't really gone on one of those just like month long uber hot stretches like they did last year twice. They did so last year in May and September. Um, and we just haven't really seen that this year. We've seen it over like a, a week or two, but they need to be able to sustain it for longer. The disappointing thing about the hater home runs on Friday night, the second one was against Brandon Crawford. I believe I think it was the second one. And that's a little 
rough when it's a lefty on lefty matchup. And I know Crawford has some power and it wasn't a big, massive towering shot, but you'd still like to see him be able to shut down a guy like Brennan Crawford and that, you know, a guy's going to load up and take his shot, but it's still a little, a little rough in that case because that's a guy you would expect him to dispatch. Well, and there, there have been a few home runs against the giants that were just, you know, creeping into the, uh, short porch they have in right field. So, you know, you got a juiced ball with a short porch and, you know, the wrong weekend that happens. So, um, we had on Saturday, uh, the Brewers were up. We were kind of talking about it. And then Jeremy Jeffers struggled, which he does. Yeah. He puts I mean, guys on base. It was the Kane error that turned uh, kind of a white knuckle inning into one where all of a sudden the Brewers had to mount a little bit of a comeback. Yes. So I, uh, what's your takeaway from watching Jeffers at the moment, JP? Um, I mean, we're a half season in. He missed, what, the first month? Uh, do you see him? Is there anything about his performance that's getting back on track for you, even if he's struggling at the moment? I mean, I I still am not 100% sure that Jeffers is healthy. Um, and I'm, I'm not necessarily sure what that means, per se, for, for somebody like Jeffers, but... Um, he wasn't he's out with just like shoulder fatigue right and like his arm strength just wasn't quite up there and i don't think there's anything really they've talked about that structurally wrong but his velocity is down almost two miles per hour this year uh pretty much across the board on every single pitch and he's not nearly missing as many bats as he was last year last year at a 13.5 percent swinging strike rate it's under 10 percent this year and it's just pretty unclear to this point what the issue is if it's just kind of a generalized fatigue whether there's something actually structurally wrong in the in the in the shoulder uh i think if that were the case i don't think that they would be pitching him but i think he's tired and we'll have to see what happens over the course of the year but pretty much all of the underlying numbers whether you're looking at strikeout rate whether you're looking at velocity whether you're looking at command in the zone all of those sorts of things are all down and it is worrisome especially once you start thinking about, you know, the fact that his splitter usage is still so far lower than it was last year. I mean, he threw his splitter about 15% in 2007, 16% last year, and it's down under 8% this year. And it's it really shows what we saw late last year when he started to struggle again. And it's unclear why he went away from it, but he's relying on his fastball so much more than he than he did last year and it's a fastball that's two two miles per hour slower so i'm i'm not all that surprised that he's struggling i mean right now he is their second or third option along with gara i guess you'd say they're both kind of two and two a and you'd like to have him more as your the way he's pitching now you'd like to have him more as your fourth or fifth best option so if they do go out and make big impact trades in the bullpen pushing him down is you know obviously a priority so getting him out of that those high leverage innings would be good the way he's going right now i mean it's tough because we were watching it last season saying he was getting you know they were riding him pretty hard so it wasn't a surprise when he was you know starting to grind down towards the end of the you know last year um and yeah clearly i think he's still kind of carrying that burden on his shoulder at the moment so uh I don't know if they need to shut him down again or this is just the new normal for him and they have to figure out how to deal with that. Um, the, let's see. The Brewers made some moves over the All-Star break and right before the All-Star break. 
Yeah, Smiley was before. They signed Shelby Miller over the All-Star break. I'm reading this for the first time. I missed that one. Ryan wanted to talk about this. And then uh, Drew Smiley was right before the All-Star break, both on minor league deals. Um, Smiley has an 842 ERA uh, in 51 and a third innings with Texas. Uh, Miller, 859 ERA in 44 innings with Texas. So... uh, Definitely not pitchers that are going to come in and make an immediate impact for this team. No, I was looking at Shelby Miller's batted ball profile and uh, pitch mix profile, I should say, on Brooks Baseball. And it looks like Texas was in the midst of trying to turn him into the prototype pitcher now, which is four seamers high, curveball down. And he's kind of scrapping the rest of the repertoire to a very large extent. He's not throwing it nearly as much as he did. And the results on that so far have been not great so it'll be interesting to see what the brewers decide to do with him in triple a uh because he was signed to a triple a contract if they're going to continue on this modified path because that is the the idea of the four seamer high and the curveball low that is the in vogue thing right now and so we'll see if if they have a different plan than that or if they're going to continue on that development path that texas had with him but uh shelby miller was a very uh, high-profile top prospect who turned into a pretty good pitcher briefly for the Cardinals, and then what he, he went down to the Braves, and then there was the whole silliness with him being dealt for everything with the uh, the Diamondbacks. So, and he's never ever. The talk was at that time that he basically because that was one of the most ridiculed deals in the last couple decades. I mean, people really, really ripped on uh, Arizona for making that deal. And the reports at the time were that Shelby Miller like internalized a lot of that and took it on his shoulders and put a lot of pressure on himself. Well, he and was crappy with Atlanta, though. He was okay with Atlanta. He wasn't. He was not great. He wasn't crappy. Well, he, it's funny he, you're he spending really crappy. It in is Arizona. funny you're spending so much time on Shelby Miller when Drew Smiley's a guy that's actually had some success at some point in the major leagues. Well, Miller's had success too, but yeah, I mean, Miller Miller also, or Smiley's also struck out more batters this year, so. To be fair, though, I mean, Miller was a four-win player for the Braves. I mean, he was not, yeah, his win-loss record was bad, but he had a 302 ERA that year. He was, uh, he threw over 200 innings. He was, he was pretty good. Um, The biggest problem for Shelby Miller, and I think the one thing that I always remember about his time with, uh, with Arizona was when he struggled so badly with his mechanics that like on his follow through, he started scraping his knuckles against the dirt. Like he just, like he just completely lost his, his balance a lot. And he's really struggled with that. He's, he's always been a guy that just didn't really have great balance throughout his, uh, throughout his mechanics. But I mean, you know, you can talk all, all you want about his pitch mix. I mean, he's, he's, he's walking almost six per nine this year with, with, Texas his main issue has been ever since his year with the Braves in which you know his his walk rate was kind of okay and then for three years now it's been above 4.5 uh per nine he's been walking double digit percentage uh the last three years and it's it's not really a surprise that he's been brutal all of those years I I don't know what to think of it other than the fact that I think maybe they're hoping to catch kind of lightning in a bottle with these guys because it's such a low risk move that they're like, if he still sucks, who cares? He's in triple A. But if he can somehow find his his balance or they can, 
you know, have somebody talk to him that gives him a pointer that really works. Uh, that's great. I think they're trying to do what they can to to kind of like maximize their internal options and just kind of throw as much like throw as many noodles against the wall to see what sticks. And they're going to try to do what they can to upgrade in the trade market. But they're seeing this as another option beyond uh, the trade market to be able to add as many guys that could potentially help as possible. If you had to guess, which one is more likely to see the big leagues this year between for the Brewers between Miller and Smiley? I, I guess Smiley, because at least Smiley's missing bats, but I don't think either of them will. Yeah, Smiley does have, what was it, 52 strikeouts in 51 innings, whereas Miller, he has almost as many walks. He has 30 uh, strikeouts and 29 walks in I would, 44 if, innings. It's not good. If, I, if either of them are making the roster before September, something has gone really wrong. Or something's gone really bizarrely right. <laughs> Like some sure. miracle has happened. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Then, yeah, maybe one of them is like all of a sudden just randomly switches it on, you know, over the past, over the next month and they're able to do it. But that still means that somebody then was bad enough that they got ousted for somebody that like had three good starts. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So the Brewers made another move. Uh, Mauricio Dubon's time in the major leagues was short. He and was- I don't think he even got a start. Uh, yeah, I'd have to go back and check. I don't think so. Um, he was sent down, uh, and the Brewers called up Jay Jackson. So uh, I guess, do you want to take a little bit of a scouting report on Jackson? Yeah, I mean, so Jackson was up briefly already this year, and he gave up five earned runs in two and one-thirds innings. And so he's got an ERA in the big leagues of uh, 19 right now. So that's not super uh, sparkling and impressive in any way. But... Uh, He's not a Gera. He is not a Gera. He is not a, one of the many Geras that this team employs. Uh, but in AAA this year, over 35 and two-thirds innings, he has a 50-to-8 strikeout-to-walk ratio and a 1.01 ERA. So he's been incredibly effective in you know a, pitcher, a very pitcher-unfriendly run environment. So... I think that you you could say the guy's earned a shot again to see what he can do at the big league level and see if he can get big league hitters out because he's doing well in a not hospitable place to get big leaguers out. And we talked about this quite a bit on the minor league pod this week about uh, the sort of the fine line between being a major leaguer and a minor leaguer in this case, because we also talked about Taylor Williams has been very good down there. And a lot of the times it can just be a matter of uh, having the ability to throw good strikes versus throwing strikes. So uh, JP probably wants to talk yeah, more about that. Well, JP, here's my question. Uh, is their lack of a quality reliever behind Hater kind of g- hurting these other guys who basically they just get called up and thrown into the fire right away? Like there isn't a way to like break these guys in some low leverage situ- situations at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And it also puts them in situations in which... Uh, one bad start is basic, or like one bad outing is is sending them back to AAA. Then too, right? Like it, it's guys who are, yeah, I, I guess not being forced to go full innings too, and not necessarily being able to be set up in terms of matchups or those low leverage situations that you're talking about. But I think the biggest thing for Jay Jackson for me is, uh, is have you seen his his personal logo from his time in in the the Japanese league? I did see that. It's great. It's awesome. It's so it's good. Awesome. So it's a 
so it's a smiley face, right? It's a smiley, just like a standard smiley face, but it's got a, <laughs> it's got a big beard, right? And the eyes are both J's for Jay Jackson. And so it is stellar. He's got it stitched on his glove, and then he's got his name in Japanese stitched on his glove right next to it, too. Favorite thing about Jay Jackson, and I hope he makes the league. I hope he makes it and sticks with the Brewers just because of that. That would be fun to see. Well, and I, I'd like to see him stick just because they need somebody to throw some innings out of the bullpen. Yeah, and I mean, when JP was talking about how guys will get called up and have one bad outing and then they go back down again, that was Taylor Williams with his eight earned runs against the Marlins. Like, yeah, and we haven't seen him since. So I mean, was, hopefully he, he Jay Jackson gets in a game and hits the ground running would be the hope. I mean, that was Deal Laguerra as well. It was to him too. Yep, more recently. Yep. Yeah, Dealas Guerra just basically had one. And a lot of these guys are brought up because just the bullpen is tired. And then they come up and say, you know, we need you to pitch because everyone else is gassed. And they get thrown into the situation. They blow up. And then they're like, well, now you're tired and we still need somebody else fresh. So get out of here and we're going to bring somebody else up. Yeah. Uh, we have a Patreon question from D- Darren Jones, and this might tie in here. Uh, he said, David Stearns has been quoted a couple of times saying, our answers need to come internally. Uh, among the current starting pitchers, bullpen, and position players, uh, which group is in most need of reinforcements from outside the organization? I mean, the ideal would be to get a top-line starting pitcher, but I don't know that that guy is going to be available at a price that the Brewers would be willing to pay Read not giving up Keston Hero. So I don't know that they that's a realistic thing they can do. So then you kind of move to the next line, which would be an impact late inning reliever, I think is the next thing that they could really use. So yeah. Do they have anyone in AAA right now that could possibly be an impact reliever? Or I guess below AAA if they wanted to kind of skip somebody up a couple levels. No, I don't think so. I think that they they have a bunch of guys that could come up and potentially be useful for a couple of weeks at a time if they hit a good stretch, but I don't think they have anybody in AA or AAA right now that is consistent enough and has big enough stuff that they can come up and be an absolute game changer like Corbin Burns was last year. Um, I mean, they could, though, perhaps have a guy already in the big leagues as a starter who could move back to the bullpen and be an impact reliever in Adrian Hauser. And actually, Freddie Peralta, too. Both guys in the bullpen this year have ERAs well under three. But um, I also don't think that I don't think that they've shown consistency enough to be able to say that those are surefire options for the bullpen. Yeah, you have a bunch of guys you could throw there that have good stuff that you can hope on. But I don't think there's any of there's anybody there that you would feel comfortable putting there and say, you know what, that's going to markedly help our bullpen where we feel much better with it, uh, much better about it than we did uh, uh a week before it's a fair point and i think both peralta and hauser as bullpen pieces are most useful in the you know maybe once or twice a week role where they're coming in for like two to three innings and doing that so it's not the late inning shutdown type guy that they probably need more so but it's I, a fair point. i think i was gonna say i think the clear answer for me is that um from outside the organization i think it needs to be the bullpen uh, I think the starting rotation is just kind of what everybody expected it to be. They need a couple of guys internally to be the guys that they expected prior to the season, most notably Yuli Chassin. Uh They need him to be able to step up. They need Corbin Burns to be able to step up as well. And they were kind of counting on these guys. Gio's, Gio Gonzalez needs to stay healthy. Um, he needs and, to get healthy at this point. Well, he is, well, he is rehabbing but, now. Sure. Yeah. 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 And, and they need those guys to be what? You know, they they needed them to be prior to the year and in in a lot of cases what they were last year. Um, 
And I think if you look at the the starting rotation, you can identify guys that you could say like, well, you know, there is a path forward where you could see the rotation stabilizing. I don't necessarily see that in the bullpen. Uh, and the position players, I think they're okay. The one thing I would say, I would be really interested if, and I know what Ryan's answer to this is going to be, but I would be really interested um, in whether or not they're able to potentially move somebody like Travis Shaw for for a pretty good reliever. Hmm. Um, because, again, if you still look at the fact tra- Travis Shaw starting to hit the ball down in AAA, which, as I mentioned up at the top, everyone hits the ball at AAA. Not really that notable, but it is nice to see him have some success. Well, him making contact at the moment is progress. And it- and if you were to say, okay, good, Travis Shaw is ready, bring him up, who are you sending out? Yeah, I mean, it's a good idea in theory. I think you would need to probably get a guy who had more than a year for it to make sense, or they'd have to be really, I know that, really I, yeah, good. I know that, I know that you're not going to want to trade Travis Shaw for anybody that's not either you know non-rental or somebody that's not elite, but I don't think Travis Shaw has that kind of trade trade market value. But the other piece on it, is again if you're still looking for a path if in order for that that value that Travis Shaw has in your eyes to be worthwhile he still needs a path to the big leagues that's not somebody getting injured well how and much I'm not uh, sure what that is but how much do they need to just hold on to Shaw because they're going to need to figure out who's playing third base next season yeah i mean that could be absolutely but then then what is your option just to keep Travis Shaw in the in the minors until september that might be the thing. It is only a month and a half away. It's not ideal for him. It sucks for him. It's flat out. They like, did it with Arcia and Santana last season. But it it is yeah. feasible and at San- this point. And like, he can't like, really complain. So, well, of course he can complain. He, well, no, I mean he he wouldn't have a great case because he was so bad and struggled so much. And they gave well, him they gave him chance. Oh, is that what it is? If they argue their case, they can then get put back on the major league roster. Is that all it takes? No, that's not how it takes. Okay. Uh, I'm curious because the way you were talking about this, I thought maybe they had some input in this. But uh, anyways, um, we do have a question from Jason Spitz. He says, if you're Stearns, how many more chips are you willing to put in the middle of the table for this particular team? For instance, do you trade a prospect package headed by Terang for a rental like Will Smith or Mad Bum? Or are you just willing to try and improve at the margins? And I guess the margins would be... Well, it would be the bullpen like Smith, but you'd be talking about kind of a lesser trade package. Right now, I wouldn't put anything significantly towards just this year. If you were going to add something... Well, you never would play for just one season. At this moment right now... Is there a time where you've heard Ryan ever say, we need to go all in this year? Uh, no, but uh, sometimes I have heard him change his tune after they've made a trade for a player that's just been here for for a couple of months in which he suddenly <laughs> is kind of okay with it. Uh, I would not do that right now because of where they are in the standings. Uh, if you're going to add somebody, either it should be at the margins right now or it should be for multiple years. Uh, if over the next few weeks they get incredibly hot and are looking like you know they've They've regained a bunch of that lost because they over the last uh, three weeks or so have lost a lot of playoff percentage in all the uh, the various projection systems. So if they regain a bunch of that back and we're sitting right near the deadline, you mean if they win games? Yes. If they win a bunch of games and they gain back a bunch of that ground that they've given up, then I would say that at that point you could potentially look at 
moving like a Bryce Terang for a pure rental. But right now I wouldn't do it because that doesn't make sense where they're at. But I mean, if they were, if the, the playoff where, picture improves significantly. Where they're at, I mean, they're what, a game and a half out of first place in the Central? Right. But they're also like a game and a half out of like the second wild card. They're, they don't have a lot of like wiggle room where if the Cubs got insanely hot over the last few months, um, they're going to be in a wild card race with a bunch of pretty decent teams. So, because the Nationals would, have gotten really hot, the, you know. Let's say this team were five games over 500 or five games in, in, in first place right now. Well, what is the kind of rental that you would be okay with in that scenario, too? We're talking about like trading like Bryce Terang, who's their number two prospect right now uh, behind Hira, who is going to graduate out pretty quick. Um, I mean, I would happily deal Terang for. Uh, like a Mike Miner in that situation, somebody like that, which which they wouldn't do, which Texas wouldn't do, yeah. Um, you don't you think? If I mean, he would be the lead piece. You'd have to give up more than him. But I, yeah. I think if you were willing to put Bryce Trang on the table, I think that could get a Mike, Mike Miner discussion going. Mike Miner has a has a a, a three sixteen DRA over the course of the year and is probably the best starting pitcher on the market. And and Bryce Terang, who is a questionably defensive first guy, who's at the back end of the top 100, think that's going to get it started? I think as the first piece, I think it could potentially work. It depends what Texas thinks of him. But, yeah. Of course it does, yes. But I, you'd have to give up more than that. You I know, mean, the question is, like, would I toss in Corbin Burns with him to do that? Like, you're talking Corbin Burns and Bryce Terang to get, like, a Mike Miner? But Mike Miner's not even a rental, so it's not even the point of the question. No, and that's what I'm... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Okay. So, well, I mean, we, we, we had kind of talked about this the other day between the two of us, and I said I would not sell Corbin Burns at the moment because you're just selling so low on him. And that is, that's tricky because I still think he's going to be pretty good too, and I agree with you on that. It's, that's tough, but I, there's a, a case to be made for making a, a significant impact move if they get themselves into a better standing relative to the rest of the National League and the National League Central. But right now it's murky, so I would be cautious about it. My biggest thing is I don't think there's much that uh, is going to be that attractive on the, on the trade market right now. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to think about, like, who are the best guys on the trade market, and you're talking about, well, I guess... Will Smith, if he's the best guy that's potentially going to be available? Yeah, Kirby Yates, maybe. Yeah, I mean, but the Padres are also talking about buying. Oh, yeah, they are, because they've been not terrible lately. So, And, and the thing is, is they still are seeing... The thing is, you're going to have to pay so much for Yates uh, to be able to convince them that he's that he's worth trading and not good enough just to stay on their roster and just help them next year i forget do we have the change in the trade deadline this year mm -hmm. it is yes, this year it's just one hard deadline one hard deadline so everybody is has to make their decisions by july 31st and that's it so it's so if, gonna be real interesting to I, see over the i was next gonna few say weeks. how do we think that's gonna change um the way teams approach this deadline is that I gonna inflate prices I think it's going to uh, make a lot of moves happen late, very late. And I think it's also going to happen that a lot of people are going to be able to kind of um, 
I think you'll see a lot of teams play chicken on high priced veterans. And basically just hold out and say, I'm not I'm not gonna give you anything more. And because you have to make this decision now, you don't have an extra month to wait. For we anything. should we should talk a little bit too. There were a couple of uh kind of back end starters that have been moved already. Andrew Kashner got traded to the Red Sox from the Orioles and uh was the other one Homer Bailey got traded? God, you're so excited to talk about these guys who are. But they were traded for basically nothing. I mean, uh, Cashner was moved for a couple of 17 year olds in the Dominican Summer League who, you know, long ways away. Maybe they're something, maybe they're not, but it they're very low prospects at this point. Um, does that tell you anything about the market, JP? Or is that just they're not consequential players uh, I think enough it, to matter? I think I think it more just tells you what to think about Homer Bailey and Andrew Kashner. I mean, to, to be frank. But if you look at, uh, so I pulled up uh, uh, MLB trade rumors right now to see who they had because they had a top 60 of the potential trade pieces that are out there. Will Smith is number one. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is number two. Zach Wheeler is number three, who's really struggled. And then basically you're looking down at somebody like Ken Giles and Marcus Stroman. There's been some rumors that the Yankees are trying to talk about getting both of them. And then it's, you know, Shane Green with the Tigers, uh, Matthew Boyd with the Tigers, who would who would actually be uh, quite good. But I think that he is going to cost an arm and a leg because of how controllable he is. Well, and, and Bumgarner only won World Series in even years, right? That's good. And it is an odd and year. And it's so. an odd year. So is there yeah, any reason to go out point. and acquire Madison Bumgarner this year in 2019? No, that's science. You just can't argue with that. Can't argue with science. No, that's a great point. Uh, one one position they may not need to go out and trade to fill is first base. We have a question about uh, Jesus Aguilar from Frank Noonan's. Am I pronouncing that right? Noonan's? Noonan's. Noonan's would Nuins. be how I would say it, I think. Uh, he says, Sorry, Jesus, Frank. Yeah. Jesus Aguilar hit 351, 422, 614 over his last 30 games at 64 plate appearances. Despite the small sample, have you noticed any mechanical changes that may have made a difference? Or was it a mental issue? Or do you think he is just inherently a streaky player? JP, what do you take away from uh, Aguilar's uh, minor resurgence? It's it's been good to see, but it, it's been like like you said, a pretty small sample to to this point. Yeah, it's been great to see. I I think it's I don't think we can make much of it. I haven't seen anything mechanically uh, that I would be willing to put my hat on. I think the the big thing is that he's mainly been facing lefties thus far because Eric Thames has been good enough to to kind of like handle the strong side of the platoon and not put Jesus Aguilar in a position in which he has to face guys that he struggled against pretty mightily. But we've seen this, you know, we've seen this over a course of a, a week or two before with with Aguilar earlier in the year. But I don't think he is inherently a streaky player, a la somebody like Keon Broxton. Um, I think he is a, a better hitter overall. That, than somebody like Broxton, but it, it's great to see they're they're a much better team if if Jesus Aguilar is obviously hitting. I, I don't think there's any question on that. The question will be whether or not uh, that is able to sustain itself over sporadic playing time, which we've seen over the course of the last couple of years. Domingo Santana is probably the most ready uh, example of this. Is it's really difficult to be to be able to do that if you're only playing once or twice a week to be able to to really establish a rhythm especially when you're talking about do you then put him into the lineup and take out somebody like Thames, who's actually been really good for the last couple of months. But it is good to see Aguilar hitting with some power because that was part of the issue is I think people were waiting for him to drive the ball, and he just 
whatever he was making contact with, he just didn't have anything behind it. Yeah, he's had a couple like clusters where he hit like three home runs in two games this year. Uh, but that happened once in April, and then we had to wait until like late June for that to happen mm-hmm. again. Uh, what's nice to see is he uh, hit some doubles over the weekend here against the Giants. But I will point out here, when you look at these numbers, something does jump right out at me. That's 64 plate appearances in 30 games. That's a lot of pinch hitting appearances and, you know, a few sporadic starts against left-handed starters, as JP was pointing out. And that is, if he can obviously not continue at this pace, because this is incredible pace, but if he can do this while seeing sporadic playing time, that would be really good because that would allow them to have a really functional platoon because, as you pointed out, Eric Dames has been good as well. Well, until last season, Jesus Aguilar was not a regular Major League ball player. No, I mean, he got some regular time when Thames was hurt in 2017. But Yeah, but the idea that he gets sporadic playing time, I mean, should that really affect a guy like Jesus Aguilar, who has, for most of his career, gotten sporadic playing time until last season? Well, you're thinking of his kind of big league career. He wasn't a sporadic player down in the minors. No, and when well, he was with the Indians, yeah. he would get called up so, and he would play. So I'm saying at most, like him getting used to being a sporadic player is like a year and a half tops. Um, and so, I and to answer kind of Frank's question directly, I think it's largely been a mental issue. I think he's been really frustrated, and I think you can see it a lot of the time, especially earlier in the year when he went through an extended stretch and then got a base hit. Even it was clear that he was celebrating with the bench. He was making it a big deal about like kind of you could see him sighing and his shoulders you know kind of taking a weight off of his shoulders um guys can take those sorts of things really personally over a long stretch of time especially if you're consistently talked about whether or not you should be on this team and whether or not you should be released those are mental those are mental strains that you can see over the course of the time um which is why we do talk about on rebuilding teams like you can go and be a fringe guy you can be a, a quad a type of player and say go to the marlins or go to the go to baltimore and say it's okay if i struggle for a period of time because they're still going to get they're still going to pencil me in the lineup every single day i don't have to press every single moment i don't have to worry about if i have an offer because i know i'm going to be in the lineup every day Jesus Aguilar for this team did not have that luxury and I still think doesn't have this luxury going over the course of it so I would say that he does have a lot of mental pressure that he's putting on himself Uh, whether I don't think that that's the only thing but I would say that we'd be foolish to discount it you know but we've also seen Eric Thames go through some incredible highs at the plate and he's also cratered with some pretty big lows so I mean yeah he'll get a real swing and miss happy when he's going bad so but I mean the, the idea a guy like this that you know, could eventually pull out of this, you know, tailspin he'd been in. I mean, we shouldn't say like it was impossible. No, no. absolutely. And that's why we talked about when we were saying, is it time for Jesus Aguilar to be DFA'd? We were saying sometimes you have to let go of players that you still think could be successful big leaguers, right? I mean, he he's always had the ability to do it and he's shown an ability to do it. Whether or not he was going to do it this year, I, you know, we still don't really know. But uh, yeah, he's still, he, he clearly has the tools to do it. And, when we were talking about DFAing him, it was not because we thought he was garbage. It was because sometimes you have to make tough decisions, which they obviously decided to make with Shaw and not Aguilar. When he is an important piece of their lineup, especially because he is right-handed power, something that they don't have a ton of, especially with Kane becoming even less powerful this year and Ryan Braun being, you know, latter-day Ryan Braun. They don't Ryan, have a ton of right-handed power in the lineup. And Ryan Braun changed his stance for the first time ever. Did you see yeah, that? I saw that, and then I was like, well, 
there's a little bit of difference, but like the there's a lot of difference. The bat path was the same though. Yeah, the swing when he the actually swing, got into it, the swing his, was the same. Yeah, his path well, through the zone. I'm like, oh, well, that's, he's not that's he's not changing his swing. He's changing his setup. Sure, right. He's changing his setup to be able to get his bat on plane. He's not going to change his plane, though. He did talk about that earlier this year that he was changing all of his stuff to be able to have you know a higher launch angle. Which Ryan, by the way, bought into that launch angle stuff pretty heavily with Ryan Braun. Oh, I'm all in on the Ryan Braun uh, launch angle revolution. Ryan Braun hit a homer? Or no, it was, it was actually Christian Yelich. Uh, just tied it up in Sunday's game with the home run. I um, heard that decent. Yeah, so we, we actually have a question from PJ Wessels. And he asks, uh, how concerned are you about Yelich's rising strikeout rate from March 28th through May 31st? It was 38 Ks and 222 plate appearances. I just want to say that's impeccable timing, Steve. You're not the best host in the business for nothing. It sounds better if you don't call attention to it. <laughs> Uh, June 1st to today, which probably would have been like yesterday or something like that. We won't count this one because obviously Yelich is awesome. Uh, he has 34 Ks and 153 plate appearances. Small sample size for sure, but 22% uh, seems concerning when compared to 17%. Also, big plans for number 100, which we haven't discussed yet. That'll be next week. No, but we have some stuff to give away. So We do. We got to figure out how we're going to do that. So anyways, JP... Uh, any concern over Yelich's uh, striking out, what, about 5% more than he had earlier in the season? I apologize, PJ, for the short answer. Uh, no. Yeah, not a concern for me either. It's just a thing that happens sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say with that, you're going through streaks throughout the season. Um, that's not a sharp increase, I think. No. Looking at the sample. No. So, And, I mean, you're also looking at a time period when he was ungodly hot. And then a time period when he was just very, very good. You know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, when he was ungodly hot, yeah, he put up some, like, really remarkable... That's a low, low K rate in for a power hitter in 2019. That's a really low K rate. And I the fact that, that it went to, like, 22, that's still a very reasonable K rate for a good power hitter. I was going to say, if you were looking at that 22.2% uh, K rate still below league average. Yeah. And so, this is a guy who hits for obviously you know a shit ton of power so so while pj is worried about uh christian yelich tanking apparently uh darren jones well, is wondering say that I don't know. do that you're gonna lose your best host nod for that crack <laughs> i'm just giving pj a hard time just because it happened right when braun hit a, or yelich hit a home run while we were doing this uh darren jones though he he yes uh, assuming that yelich stays healthy uh, will he become the first player in Major League history to hit 50 home runs and steal 30 bases in the same season? Yeah, I think he's he's going to do it if he is healthy. And we do have to be a little concerned about the back because it does cause him to have to come out of the lineup sometimes. And when that's a concern, those things can get bad in a hurry. I occasionally have issues, and it's I'm not an athlete. So it's, yeah. That could be really, really debilitating when it goes bad. JP, what do you think? 50 home runs? We haven't seen it since uh, Prince in, what was that, 2009? No, seven. Seven. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, uh, the ball will help a little bit. I would say if if Yelich gets close, you might see Mike Trout all of a sudden get a little bit jealous and decide that he's going to start running a bunch too because I think he could steal 30 bases if he wanted to. Mike Trout could do anything he wanted to. Like, I'm fairly convinced that if Mike Trout said, 
for next year, I'd like to learn how to fly. He would just do it because he's Mike Trout and that's what he does. So I think so like this is uh, this is off topic, but just about like supreme athletes. So I went to to high school with uh, Jesse Vetter, who was the goalkeeper for the women, the U.S. women's hockey team um, and, and a badger and a badger and a, and a badger. Uh, she also played on my my little league team for a while and she was our best pitcher, um, which was like really funny when you'd play other teams and be like, is that a girl? And we'd be like, yeah, she's real good. Uh, and like, yeah, you guys should make fun of her. <laughs> but we would, uh, I remember cause one year in, in high school, our high school ended up having uh women's golf for the first time. They, they had girls golf and Jesse Vetter was like, I'll play. And ever, and people were like, have you played before? She said, she was like, no. And then first year went to state. So she was pretty much it's just like when you see guys like whether it's Yelich or Trout or like some of these people who are just like supreme athletes and they decide to do something. It's like Mookie Betts in bowling, right? He's just like a phenomenal bowler because he just like did it. And he was like, I'm good at this, too. Do you ever see that? Mookie Betts is an incredible bowler. I haven't. Like he's qualified for the U.S. Open of bowling. Yeah, I think I've seen that pop up before. I haven't actually watched any of his bowling videos yet. Well, it's just like so. You know who's one of the best golfers uh, for Liverpool? Don't you know? Is is James Milner? Oh, was, you're talking about golfers like Tony Romo. I think qualified for the U.S. Open once. Oh, he did, and I think he struggled a little bit. Uh, you know, against professionals, but he was obviously good enough to be able to get into it. Right. If you can get through the qualifying process, you're pretty damn good. So. Yeah. Okay. We got uh, one final question we're going to do here. It's from Dan Larson, and we kind of touched on this earlier. Do you think this team is realistically a playoff team if they remained as constructed? They're 9 and 16 in their past 25. They slipped from a top 10 offense to the middle of the pack at 16th. They're 19th in ERA, 20 in runs against, uh, and their advanced stats have slipped too. So, midseason, how are we feeling? I know that you. Uh, Ryan, you cited the uh, lowered what projections percentage? Yeah, that they've percentage? they've slipped in their playoff uh, percentages, like what their you know their chances of making the playoffs have, and they also uh, they've slipped back in like third order wins and all that stuff. If you look at Baseball Prospectus, um, they're a pretty good team in an extremely tough division in a tough league, and they're kind of like a lot of teams in those positions, uh, you know, that it's hard to know exactly who is get to it. I'm it's hard to know exactly what is real in that, but there's still so much roster depth on this team. And I think we saw so many guys have weirdly uncharacteristic first halves that you're going to see a better second half from them than you saw first half that if I had to guess at this point, I think they're gonna have a better second half than first half. Do they make the playoffs, yes or no? Before the season, I said no, and I'm tempted to stick with that, but it's going to be close. It's going to be within yes a game or, or no. two. Yes or no? Oh, my God. Yes or I, no? I, I, they will not, but they're going to be within a game or two. They will They will miss close, and it will be very painful. Uh, JP, was, do you want to be as bad as Ryan answering this question? I was going to say he managed to hedge on a yes or no question. Um, uh, no, I don't think they do. I, and I think that's because you don't NL think they make the playoffs. I don't know. And I think it's because the NL Central is so du- is so tough that I don't think the second wild card. Uh, I don't think the wild card teams are going to be coming out of the central. Um, and, and right it's now tough. they wouldn't. Yeah, right. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, I know that. Um, but I would say that and it's not because I don't think so. This is why it's such a difficult question, because 
Um, I think they, as currently constructed, I don't think that they are a playoff caliber team because of the bullpen. Uh, I think that that could change, obviously, in a couple of weeks, depending on the moves that are made. But in the NL Central, you're going to, I think, have to win the Central in order to make the playoffs. I, 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 the most that we've seen, or like the more we see everybody in the Central beat up on each other, um, and the more that we've been able to see teams in the in the East and the West be able to start racking up some wins, I think that you're going to have to win the Central, and it's going to be tough for the Brewers as currently constructed to be able to do that. I still think that they're an above average, uh, they're an above 500 team. I, I don't think that this is a moment in which you're talking about tearing the team down or moving into it, and I think that they could absolutely get on a stretch, but I think they're going to have to upgrade the bullpen in order to make it happen. But as currently constructed, if that's the question, no, I don't think that they make the playoffs. Well, I think that that's my issue with the question, because this team won't finish the season as currently constructed oh sure yeah you know and, and there aren't many teams that will probably be in it that are going to finish the season as currently so, constructed so but what's I, your if, answer steve you, you say, give me a hard time what is your answer are they gonna yes, make the playoffs i still believe they're gonna make the playoffs they're right in it at the moment so i don't know and i picked them to make the playoffs i don't know why if they're a game and a half out or a half a game out whatever you want to say to the top of the the nl central when it actually this podcast goes live I don't know why I would change my pick at the moment. It's fair. Just because there's a bad streak, and JP cited earlier, yeah, they did go through a streak like this last season. I was going to say, I think before the season, JP and I said they wouldn't, and we're both kind of grudgingly sticking with that. You said they would, and you're kind of grudgingly sticking with I, that. I picked them to win the NL Central. I was going to say, I picked them, what, you were the, You were the something like that. Optimist? So if I, That's unbelievable. If I were to change the question and to say, is this so to say, is this a playoff caliber team? Meaning, is this a team that's worth adding to? What would your answer? I know that Ryan or uh, well, that Steve, I imagine you would say yes, right? I'd say but, yes, it's worth adding to. Their, their problem is, do they have pieces to go out and, you know, uh, yeah. use to add talent? I don't Absolutely. Know. Yeah, it's and a so, team worth adding to around the margins at this point. Is that is that a meaningful? What the hell? Like, just, if you're just saying, like, what is the... So, like, around the margins is Smiley and Miller. No, 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 no. I mean, we're not talking about giving up uh, top prospects for pure rentals. We already talked about this. Yeah, okay. Aside from Hira, who are you willing to give up? I'd be willing to give up Bryce Terang in, in the right deal right now. Terang, so, Burns... Uh, would you be give up Terang for a rental? For a pure rental, no. Not at this point. Yeah. I wouldn't okay. do it. So then basically you're basically the pieces that you're able to give up for a rental are like not top hundred prospects and not very good. I mean, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Corey Ray and Trent Grisham. Yeah, it's yeah, it's that. No, I mean, to be fair, I I would say that if Trent Grissom goes like this for the next couple of months, he might be a top 100 prospect by the end of the year. I, I actually, I would say that that probably wasn't a fair characterization of the, okay. the system. Okay, Grisham isn't technically on top 100 list at the moment, but would he be on lists that are being constantly reevaluated within other uh, organizations? Like, are they constantly reevaluating to a point where Grisham might be moving up or, or scouts would basically say like this is a guy that would be worthwhile yeah i think if you saw keith law do a top 100 right now for for example i think he would have grisham on it yeah he just a couple weeks ago in a chat mentioned that he thinks that grisham is now you know a major leaguer for sure potentially an everyday major leaguer so like he he has moved him up considerably based on what he's doing right now so and i will say the most interesting thing to me about grisham is and we mentioned this on the minor league pod is that they're playing him in center field most nights now yeah, that was a surprise to me. I didn't hadn't caught that. So, 
Um, is there any uh, scouting report on his play in center field? Uh, Grisham? Yeah. It, it's His speed isn't great. Like He relies mostly on routes and instinct. His arm isn't very good. Uh, that he best fits in left field, which he's going to have to hit for a lot of power to carry that, but he has been hitting for more power. The question for, for me is whether or not he's able to start uh, kind of handling his reads well enough to be able to make up for the fact that he's not, you know, he's not a Lorenzo Cain in terms of his athletic ability. He's not a Corey, Corey Ray in his athletic ability in center field. He's a step slower, um, but I think that he could maybe handle it in a pinch. I don't think he'd be a guy that you'd want to put there every day. I do wonder if they're starting to play him in center because they're viewing him as a potential fourth outfielder. Yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to get him looks to see how playable he is in a variety of roles. So, Well, and if you want to put your conspiracy tin hat on, you could say that they're they're putting him in center field to be able to showcase him to teams to say, you know what, he can handle center. I, All of those things could very well be valid, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. We're probably going to start getting a lot of trade questions, I would imagine, starting next week. Specifics? Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, where are you guys right now on the idea of Madison Bumgarner? Because that one is kind of the ever-present uh, question, has been since the offseason even. I'd rather yeah. add to the bullpen. So, Yeah, same. I'm not that interested. So you would rather have Will Smith than Madison Bumgarner? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. okay, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, again, it's the first time in a while that we've all been sitting here actually talking brewers again. It felt good, and it, it the product is a lot better, too. <laughs> I don't know. I think we, we got off tangent on a, a few different topics, so hopefully. That's, that's all part of the brand, Steve. It's, it's part of the deal. Again, we're all sleep-deprived at this moment, aren't we? Or, JP, have you finally uh, gotten a chance to settle down and enjoy life a little bit? No, no, it's it's like constant boxes and trying to like scrounge out. We're about to go pick up a new uh, dresser from like somebody off Craigslist here pretty quickly. So it's still trying to like cobble together everything. All of my clothes are basically on the floor upstairs because we only have one dresser and I don't have any place for them at the moment. So no, it's just a constant battle of trying to put everything together. Yeah. So, oh, what happened? Give it up more hits. Yeah. Are you losing? Give up a leadoff double. You're losing the faith. Yeah, pretty much. We'll see what happens here. Uh, Brewers are tied 2-2, but Corbin Burns is in and making things look a little hairy. So anyways, uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Patrons at the M&B and Ball and Glove levels receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at mketailgate. You can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, wherever you get podcasts, we should be available. You can leave reviews, and that helps people find the podcasts. Thanks for listening. Look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.